The Hogs are going to Omaha. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. You can actually feel Razorback Stadium shaking underneath our feet right now. You just got to keep living, man. L-I-V-I-N. Arkansas wins the national championship. What I say when it comes to this basketball team is the law. Absolutely and without discussion. I have been trying to get you together with Ty. Strikeouts are boring. Besides that, they're fascist. Throw some ground ball. More democratic. This is the Halftime Podcast, presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Turned out that the 5-3 win for Arkansas against the Rebels on Wednesday was one of the more higher-scoring uh, games of the tournament because uh, you don't see a lot of runs uh, in uh, in yesterday's ball games. You do see a lot of close games, but certainly not a lot of runs. And to me, that's the main thing for Arkansas. It's not a loss. It's not a win, the things going on right now. It is a matter of an offense that is stalling um, a little bit uh, with a team that has struggled to consistently put up a, uh, a, lot, of, a lot of runs when it comes down to it uh, in the last six games. Uh, maybe you start to worry a little bit. So uh, Arkansas yesterday loses 3-1 to one to Georgia um, against a Bulldog team that, and you have to respect a team that had allowed a, a team batting average of like 196 in the first 50-so uh, games of the year. That's That means it hasn't just been Arkansas that has struggled to put together uh, quality at-bats and make contact against Georgia. They've been doing it against, against everybody. Um it was the same thing against Texas A&M, uh, where Arkansas struck out 43 times in three games and uh, was overly reliant on, on the home run, couldn't score a run any other way. You're not going to be seeing a lot of starting pitching, I think, like that in a regional. You might in a super regional, uh, but it would it'd be surprised to see that kind of starting pitching consistently on day-to-day basis uh, in, uh, on a weekend in, in the regional. Uh, but you do have to start winning some of those ball games, and it didn't happen yesterday. Uh, the Hogs did have a, uh, a little bit of a lead, thanks to a run of the third inning, and carried that lead until the seventh, uh, when Cole Ramage gives up a single and uh, then a double down the left field line to pinch hitter Connor Tate. Um, you know, the thing about, about that is, and it's so funny, too, to, to talk about, well, you're, you're out here playing a baseball game. Um, I think it's difficult, Ty, and you've heard me say this a lot, for an athlete that is on the field of competition at that moment to not try to win because that's what you're trained to do. That's what you've been trained to do for pretty much your entire life by the time you make it here to Hoover. And then, you know, all the games yesterday um, that were in the second session, Arkansas, Georgia, Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, these are four teams whose who's, uh, seeding is already seemingly set as far as being one of the top eight national seeds. So what are these teams playing for? They're playing to do what they've been doing all year, which is win games and, can, and keep getting used to doing it and to get a day off and maybe have a little bit of bragging rights or maybe something that makes a difference in the committee in a committee member's eyes if they if all things are equal between say Arkansas and Georgia when they're talking about it maybe they look to the to the outcome of yesterday's game to give one slot higher in the seating for Georgia than Arkansas. I don't know. I, I still don't think that anything that happened yesterday between those four teams changes the fact that they're national seeds. So with that in with that in mind and with the, the idea that the most important games are still ahead of you, here's the biggest difference in the game yesterday, Ty. Isaiah Campbell throws five innings on 71 pitches, and that's it. 
in a one nothing game. Your Friday pitcher, I know yesterday was a Thursday, but he's a Friday pitcher. He's the ace. You're going to give him the ball in a one nothing lead in the sixth inning. And then in the seventh inning. And then potentially the eighth inning. And if he's still grooving, potentially the ninth inning. It's funny because Campbell didn't seem to have his best stuff or best command yesterday, but he still skips through five innings on just a couple of infield hits. He walked three, which tied his season high. Uh, but uh, really, I mean, he, for the most part, he was good. He wasn't the best that Isaiah Campbell has been, but he was good enough to be out there for more than five innings and 71 pitches. So that right there tells you that the athletes on the field most definitely are always trying to win. And it's not that Dave Van Horn is not trying to win because the way he had things set up for the bullpen, it it very often is a winning combination for Cole Ramage to take the ball after Campbell. And then you have the lead uh, and, and Jacob Kostyshaw coming on to pitch the eighth. But it's a different equation in a game that, even in Dave's mind, he knows where this team sits in the state in the seedings. He knows where this team's uh, fate is next week, where they're going to be playing, and where they could be playing if they make it through a home regional. What's the most important thing? Not to overwork your pitches. Is is throwing Isaiah Campbell another twenty pitches, another twenty five pitches, really going to be that much of a difference? Sometimes it is. You might as well play it safe. That's what they did yesterday. Did it cost them a game? Did it cost them a win? No. They're not hitting enough right now to win baseball games against top-level teams. But it was an interesting thing to see, and you kind of expected it to. And I was kind of curious. Isaiah Campbell, after the game, seemed pretty hard on himself, very critical. And the guy pitched five scoreless innings. Now, I know you didn't think he had his best stuff. He didn't think he has his best stuff. And a lot of Arkansas fans would agree with that sentiment. But the fact is, Phil, he didn't allow he allowed two hits and didn't allow a run in that right. outing. Do you think he was overly critical of himself after the game? Well, I mean, a pitcher was going to base. You, batters are told not to be, uh, not to be worried about the result. You know, of uh, of their at bat. Just focus on hitting it hard, and 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 eventually the base hits will fall in. And that's why you hear a lot of those cliches from batters that that you hear. They're focused on trying to hit it hard, get a good pitch to hit it hard. For pitchers, you would think it'd be the same thing. You know, uh, they they they're, they. They're going to worry more about how they feel they pitched rather than the results of what the box score says. And when I look at my box at my my scorecard here, I do see uh, three line drives that did not uh, fall in. One great leaping catch by Jacob Nesbitt at third base. I see three walks and one hit batsman. I do see Campbell um, uh, you know, having trouble putting batters away a couple of times. Um, you know, he only allowed the two base hits. So, I mean, to me, it's. A, I think his stuff was fine. His velocity looked good, but his location, his command wasn't great. And and I think that's why he's being hard on himself. I almost I want him to be hard on himself. I want an ace who's got an ERA of, like, what, 212 now? Uh, I want him to be hard on himself because Campbell can be better than he was yesterday. Um, and you know what else could be better yesterday? And this is something we'll get into later on in the second hour because I sat down and interviewed pitching coach Matt Hobbs. Uh, the strike zone could have been better yesterday. And I feel that way about, <laughs> maybe I feel that way about too many games that I'm calling, but the uh, the strike zone from Tony Walsh yesterday, you know, was it, it practically was was riding the waves. I mean, it was floating. It was all over the place. And I think it was difficult to pitch with that. That said, you know, five scoreless innings. What's the, what's, what is a pitcher really trying to do? Keep, keep the team from scoring. Campbell did exactly that for five innings. So 
uh, maybe he should be a little happier with how he pitched. You question the hitting the last couple days because they're only hitting like, I think, 161 in the SEC tournament. You've seen a lot of lefties, Phil. You saw two in the Texas A&M series. You didn't see Lacey, but you saw Dos Axis and that other guy. And then you saw, was it three guys yesterday that Georgia rotated in or just two that were lefties? I they know just, they, no, they had just one lefty. Um, that was um, that was the that was the, the the pitcher who won who won the game out of the bullpen, Ryan Webb. Uh, but they, I mean, they, they they utilize him. I mean, he he's one of their top relievers, and George has got a lot of good relief pitchers. Um, and and maybe maybe there has been a thing against the lefties of late for Arkansas, but they also haven't been you know haven't been crushing the righties either. So I don't know if it's a lefty righty thing or if it's a, an approach thing for the team. You know, Dave did said he's, he's tried to talk to them about the, you know the the main thing that really got them going was the approach to be hitting it up the middle and for uh, for for batters to try to hit it a little bit the other way towards the the opposing gap and hit it where it's pitched so to speak and not do too much with them. Uh, so maybe there's been a little change in that approach, and you're seeing guys spinning on their heels a little bit more and looking for the home run, which, by the way, yesterday here at Hoover wasn't going to happen. This, this this turned into a graveyard yesterday. I mean, it's already deep dimensions, uh, but it uh, it played bigger than the 405 feet to straightaway center. I thought there was a ball that Trevor Ezell hit in the eighth inning that the left fielder for Georgia, uh, Riley King, made a ridiculously amazing catch. But it would have been a home run on most days, and it would have been a home run at Baum Stadium just yesterday. It was it was like the air was just sitting on top of the ballpark, and you 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 could not have carried the ball over the fence in a piece of luggage. So I, maybe today will be a little bit different. But with a three o'clock first pitch, it's an hour and a half earlier than yesterday. Uh, the wind's blowing right now, so maybe you'll have a little bit of help. So Phil, the halftime poll question I put up was: Are you just ready for the baseball regional in Fayetteville next week? Because you me and so many others know that this tournament is basically worthless when it comes to what actually happens in the postseason. That being said, let's say they lose today, Phil, and they lose to Ole Miss three out of four on the year. That means they've lost four out of their last five games heading into the regional next week. Right. Is that okay? No. Um, to the to the naked eye, no. Does that have anything to do with how they would perform next week against whomever is in the Fayetteville regional? I don't know. Um, it's a, it's it, the the small sample that you would take from one baseball game and say, well, that's what this team is like. You can't do it that way. That's why baseball is a series-based sport. And now you're going on six games in a row, and whatever happens today, where the lineup has had some trouble. And that's the thing that I'm mostly worried about is – is is carrying any of that negative momentum into the next into the next trip into the next uh, into the postseason round? Ah, I don't know if it, I don't know if it works that way. I just I just know that this this to me is a team that there hasn't been a roller coaster season, but there's there's uh, there is a little bit of contagion about how this ball club plays baseball. Uh, you know, juju. Either way, you ever heard of the term juju? Yeah. It's like just, mojo. Yeah, it, mojo. You, how mojo. Feel, you, yeah. Your ball players refer to juju quite a bit. There can be good juju, which they never refer to it that way, or there can be bad juju where things are just going the opposite direction. There's been a little bit of bad juju, you know, in these six games where you ju- it, you're not seeing quite the same number of good at-bats put together by a team that one through nine had been putting together a lot of really good at-bats. 
So, I mean, they're good hitters. That's the thing. And any one of them can, you know, I mean, like a Casey Martin can win a game for you with just two swings. So can, so can Heston Kerstad. Jack Henley's shown the same thing. Um, you know, and usually when you go deep into a tournament like this, uh, either everybody's clicking or there's one or two guys that are kind of carrying you, like Chad Spanberger did in 2017, or Casey Martin did a little bit last year here in Hoover when you won the first two games. So, I mean, you're still waiting for somebody to, in a sense, kind of step up in that in that sort of a role. Still, first six guys going to read off. Ezel, Martin, Goodhart, Fletch, Kerstad, and Kinley. Guys, you've really been relying on to hit the ball this season. Two hits combined and one walk. Fletch got the walk. Kinley got that hit late. And then, who's the other? And Kerstad got a hit. Of those guys, was that just shocking to see at how off they were yesterday, especially from those first six guys? Um, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, shocking's not the right term, I guess. It's just more disappointing because, I mean, th- this, this can be the nature of baseball sometimes. When you're struggling to score runs, when a lineup that is as, as deep as Arkansas is and you're averaging, what, three runs a game over the last six games, 18 runs in the last six games, seven of those, by the way, in one game. That that usually means that your best guys are struggling. So you've seen this you've seen this movie for the last five days or so, or the not not last five days, five or six games. You know, I me mean, Trevor Ezell was crushing it while Arkansas was sweeping Tennessee and sweeping Mississippi State. Uh, so was Casey Martin. So was Matt Goodhart. Uh, Dominic Fletcher was as well. Heston Kerstad was. And just right now. Uh, all of them just seem to either be p- p- being pitched to really well or or having a little trouble putting together quality at-bats time and time again. So let's talk about the a uh, little bit about this Ole Miss game today. I know you touched on it a little bit yesterday. Is it Gary Hoagland that they're facing on the mound? What's the guy's first name for Ole Miss? Gunner. Gunner Hoagland. Gunner okay. Hoagland. I didn't know this about him. Guy got drafted in the first round by the Pirates, Phil, yeah. and yeah. decided to come to school anyway. You don't see that that often. I know, and as a Pirates fan, I was, it, it gives me more more reason to feel like, yeah, you want I want to see Arkansas crush him because <laughs> hey, you could maybe you could have helped my my hometown team, and you ended up you decided to go to Ole Miss instead. Um, yeah, you know he he, he might have been a first round pick out of high school, but he hasn't necessarily pitched as, you know like a first rounder all year long. Um, Five thirteen ERA and. He has had some good outings. That's the thing. I mean, there have been a couple where he's gotten knocked around. And Arkansas saw him in the rubber match uh, at Ballmalker Stadium, 31st of March. He pitched three innings. And uh, the Hogs, you know, they scored a couple against him. They left a few out there. They had three hits and a walk. So they did leave a couple out there. That was the game where, where Ole Miss just sort of uh, outslugged uh, Arkansas and beat him 10-5 to to take the series. So he he I guess we're right now would would he, he's been pitching on the weekends um, and and I think he's got that role because he's got great stuff. Uh, he threw six good innings against Tennessee, he limited them to three to three runs. Uh, you know before that he didn't make it out of the fourth inning against Mississippi State, gave up five runs. There's a difference between the state and Tennessee lineups. I know that, but um, you know the kid that Arkansas saw on uh, on Wednesday, Zach Phillips, lefty. He seemed to have pretty good stuff. I think Hoagland's got better stuff, but has a little a little more trouble putting together good innings. Phil, you stressed to me yesterday after the show that you wanted to make a point between excuses and reasons. And the reason Arkansas hasn't been hitting as aggressively as of late is because they place, played some pretty stinking good pitching. That being said, I think people are kind of freaking out right now 
based on the fact that this team's been in a hitting slump. But how is how important is it for people to know that they're not going to see this caliber of pitching until a possible Super Regional? That's right, and and you didn't even see it in last year's Super Regional against South Carolina because the one issue for Carolina is while they had the kind of lineup to go toe-to-toe with Arkansas, they didn't have the pitching depth to go up in a three-game series against Arkansas. Um, and, you know, I don't know who's going to play against them in the regional next week, but but I, I've watched enough SEC baseball, specifically I mean, these last two weeks. Um, you know, just what I saw from Georgia yesterday was impressive. From their starter, from the kid, from the guys coming out of the pen, um, that's really tough stuff to hit. They're they're going to make noise, based upon the numbers I saw from them and from the arms I saw from them. I feel the same way about Texas A and M. These are deep pitching staffs that sometimes you know in A and M's matter. I mean, they they just can't score enough runs to win games. But I I just can't see um, you know a two or three seed out of any of the other conferences that will have that kind of pitching depth um, or have a team that can have a little bit of depth in the bullpen and go toe-to-toe offensively with what the Hogs do and really with what they also do at Baum Stadium, which now you're starting to think a little bit, well, this team has looked pretty darn good at Baumwalker Stadium, and it's a really good thing that they'll have these games at home. It seems to change things for them now. Um just like last year. This had been a team that was playing well on the road. Maybe getting back home to Fayetteville, you know, whenever this tournament is done, can help fix the problems that you've seen in the lineup. And baseball's so weird sometimes to think, well, being in your own ballpark might help a little bit. But <laughs> Arkansas, looking at the numbers at home games, they crush at Baumwalker Stadium. That might pay the dividends you're looking for. And I think to that point, Phil, Connor Nolan getting the start today, he's going to be in a neutral side. This isn't a, a true road game, but he hasn't fared as well on road games as he has at home. And that's also kind of due to it seems like every time he's on the mound, he never gets any hitting help whatsoever. Yeah. But let's say he struggles today and doesn't have his best outing and Arkansas goes on to lose. I think we have to go back to the point we've almost been shoving this down people's throats. You're going to be home the rest of the way until you get to Omaha. And you just mentioned how much they are, how much better they are hitting at home. The pitching's been the exact same way. It's been a, a considerably a notch better when they come back to Baumwalker Stadium. Yeah, I mean, and and for, for for a while, you know, we tried to separate things about this year's team from last year's team. You know, and and uh, you know, 2018 never won a road series, which included their their uh, non-conference road trip where they dropped two out of three against three different teams in in, uh, California, then go 0-5 in road series in the SEC. This year, you win your series at at, uh, Southern Cal. Uh, You win some road series in the SEC. You prove yourself to be a team that can go on the road and win more road games than than home games, then uh, win more road games than you lost um, against your own league. Um, but but maybe I think there there is something to be said about how they play at home, the atmosphere that other teams will come in from, you know, and other teams that come in from uh, from uh, the ACC, that come in from the Big Twelve, from the American. If you get a Pac-12 team that's coming in, they're not quite sure what to expect as far as what the the atmosphere is like. Ole Miss knows what it's like when they come into Fayetteville. They've been doing it for however many years now. Yeah. The Mississippi State Bulldogs know what to expect. 
so does LSU. Every team in the SEC, you know, they know what to expect when you come into Fayetteville uh, and maybe how to handle um, the rowdy crowd. Uh, it's different in the regionals and in the super regionals, unless you're playing an SEC team like last year in the supers. But, um, yeah, I think, I think it pays dividends. And the fact that, you know, I thought last year, the fact that you were playing, you were going to be a national seed was one of the main reasons you got to Omaha. And then when you get to Omaha, it's a totally different thing because we saw, we saw Arkansas fans turn TD Ameritrade Park practically into a home field. It just was, it was Northwest Arkansas North. Um, maybe you can do it again. So and this team, that, that, that's why you win as many games as you have to win in the regular season uh, is so that you're playing at home in the biggest games of the year. This team's done enough to be in that position. I always talk about the Kansas City Big 12 tournament, how they refer to it as Hilton South, Hilton Coliseum being Iowa State, Ames South, and then Lawrence East because of how their fans flock to that venue. We saw it from Arkansas last year. If they make it again, hopefully it'll be the same way. The last question before I get you out of this segment. You've watched more Arkansas baseball than anyone this year. What is the biggest thing you're concerned about before this team heads in the regional next week? Hitting. It's it's hitting right now. Um, you know, and, and I'm still there's still some concern and I got into this with Matt Hobbs in the interview which we'll play next hour. Uh, there is still some concern about uh, not de- depth. I guess is the right idea. Depth of starting pitching because you're 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 relying on true freshmen in Patrick Wicklander and Connor Nolan. So that's that had been my my main concern coming into Hoover. Um, but you know, with the team that's hitting just two fifty seven in the last six games, while I do think that they'd be fine at home against whomever it is they play next weekend in the regional. It still, but does become a little bit of a concern that you're 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 slumping now offensively, and you just don't want to continue that trend. I want to thank my buddy Jeff Taylor at Jeff's Clubhouse for sponsoring the halftime pod. Jeff's has the best soups, sandwiches, and salads in the area. The Peppercorn Ranch is to die for. Reuben off the charts. If you haven't been to Jeff's Clubhouse in Fort Smith, you got to go check it out. Back to the halftime pod. Let's go. Back on halftime on ESPN Arkansas and hitthatline.com. It's time for our Friday Supercuts Baseball Spotlight, and we're going to talk with Arkansas pitching coach Matt Hobbs here at the SEC Tournament uh, just before Arkansas gets set to play against Ole Miss for the second time here in Hoover. Matt, thanks for coming on today. This has been a pitching-dominating tournament, hasn't it? It's been kind of crazy, especially considering you got some great lineups, you have some great pitching, but this tournament's definitely leaned towards arms. It's there, it sure is. It, it's really you know, a lot different than I think most people are used to in conference tournament play. When you get down deep into staff, sometimes the, the games get a little out of hand with the scoring, but it hasn't been like that at all. I think there were two one-nothing one, one nothing games yesterday. Our game was 3-1, to 4-3 to, uh, was the other score. I mean, you, you just usually don't see that, but it speaks to the depth of the conference in terms of the arms because, like you said, we are facing some really good offenses. Well, all right, so there's a lot of things to me that separate the SEC, I think, from maybe some other leagues, and, and you have a fresh perspective on that from four years as the, as the Wake Forest pitching coach in the ACC. Is there more depth of pitching in the SEC than in other leagues, or is it more of a hitting thing? It's the depth in the arms, I think. You know, I think the top-end arms are pretty much the same across the, fi- the Power Five. They're, they're all pretty good. But when you get into the you know third starters and the second or third arm out of the bullpen, the SEC is still rolling out guys that would be you know 
Friday guys and closers and other conferences. And I think that's really where, where it shows up the most is how deep every one of the pitching staffs is. Well, and your pitching staff is, is pretty deep too. Um, but at the top of the list is Isaiah Campbell. And I feel like, you know, one of the differences between this tournament and the next tournament that you guys will be playing in is that after throwing five scoreless innings yesterday, Zay probably would have been out there for a bit longer in a tight ball game. That's a major difference between this tournament and the next. You're right. Isaiah definitely would have taken the ball in the sixth next week. Um, and that was by design. He was only going to go 75 pitches just because of his workload for the season and give him a chance to rest a little bit, get two or three good workouts in and get ready for next week. But yeah, that's, I, th- I think you'll see that with a lot of, a lot of the teams in this tournament is resting up their starters a little bit and trying to get things lined up for next week. Has there, has anybody it doesn't look to me anybody's been overworked at all this season you know and and Dave will say I want to save you for later when I really need you and and what he's referring to is June and it's not that you overwork guys at that moment but do you kind of push push it a little bit when it comes time to certain situations in regionals or super regionals or further I think you have to I think when you get down to when you get down to it and it's winter go home you're gonna your best guys need to be not your best guys but the guys that have pitched in the most leverage need to be out there um, we're really fortunate this year to have not had to use you know guys like you know Jacob and Cody and Matt and Kevin you know multiple days in a row or you know have any guy over above over and above 30 appearances I think that's really when you get to this time of the year you start to look at the high water mark in appearances and we only have I think I think Kevin's got 26 and I think that's the highest on the team him and Marshall Denton have you know kind of a high, high number of appearances Marshall's had a couple starts in there where it jacks up his appearances a little bit in some midweek outings, but we don't have a bunch of guys with 25, 30, more, 30 appearances. So we haven't really been able to, you know, we haven't really overworked our pitching staff, which is, which is good. We've been able to give guys time when they needed it, you know, with Jacob and Cody taking a couple weeks in the middle of the season. And, you know, I've talked about this in the past, but it's painful at times when you do that. But, you know, you got to know why you're doing it. And to have guys ready to go at this point in the season is why you do what we've done with our pitching staff this year. You know, and at times I think people have wondered why we've thrown or we haven't thrown guys or we've thrown other guys out there. And the bottom line is it's about development for some of the younger guys. And it's also about making sure that your pitching staff is ready to go when it's needed. Who's taking the biggest jump forward, do you think, this season? I guess put you on the spot a little bit because you have a lot of pitchers and a lot of pitchers that have taken jumps forward this year. But who, who would you think from the start of the season has, has made the biggest jump forward? Uh, you can pick from starters or relievers. Who do you think? And there's been a lot of guys, you know, and some guys it's, it doesn't show up really as much, you know, because the, they're not getting as many appearances and the numbers don't look as pretty as some of the other guys. And Kevin Copps has taken a huge jump from the beginning of the season to where he is now in terms of what he's been able to do for us, being a really reliable piece in our pen. Marshall Denton has made a huge leap forward from what we were expecting to what we're currently getting from him. Um, you know, guys like... Jacob Kostyshak, you know, has made a big jump forward this season, I think, in terms of what he's done in the past. Um, you know, Zay has been, you know, I guess from what he had done in the past here to now. I mean, the guy's 10-1 and one in the hardest league to pitch in in the entire country. And But he's been consistent. That's the thing about Zay. He's been ridiculously consistent. Like, you can guarantee at least six or seven innings and two walks or less and two runs or less. His consistency is really what sets him apart. 100% right. And if you even look at yesterday's outing, you know, it was a grind for him. And it was probably his worst outing of the year. And he went five, gave up two hits, and zeros on the board for five innings. 
and you can come to expect that out of him. He can pitch out of jams. He's got four legitimate weapons, and he knows how to deploy them, and he's in a really good rhythm right now. And, yeah, I think the consistency speaks to what he's, what he's really done. And, you know, the other guy who's made a really huge jump since the Vanderbilt series is Connor Nolan. You know, getting Connor squared away has been a big lift for our pitching staff. I think he's gone 30 innings, two walks, 27 strikeouts, and he's pitching at like a 1-5 or something like that since Vanderbilt. And it, I mean, that comes after football practice ended, too. I kind of wonder if they, I mean, is, a, is there a correlation to that or is there a coincidence to that? I mean, I guess you really never know. I mean, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, he's just a wonderful worker and a great kid. And guys like that tend to, you know, be able to handle whatever they get thrown at. And maybe it was just getting used to it. I mean, maybe that's what it was. I mean, the guy didn't throw. Also, you know, you have to remember that guy didn't throw a pitch until January. Yeah. That was against a competitive you know, SEC type lineup. He didn't have fall ball. He didn't have. He he started his throwing program on Jan. On, you know, I think it was November 29th or November 28th or something like that. That's when the guy started his his baseball throwing program. We're we're getting the best of him now because I think he's finally up to speed. Talk about speed with him, and he's fun to watch sometimes because you got to you got to be ready for that next pitch. I mean, I don't, I don't I can't remember a pitcher that I've I've called in the last few years that works faster than Connor Nolan. Do you ever have to tell him to slow down a little bit <laughs> when it starts spinning out, spin him on him a little bit? We have had to tell him to hey, you know, this is when you need to step off. This is when you need to take a breath. This is when you need to get back into your routine. And he's just a go 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 competitor. And sometimes you have to slow those guys down a little bit. But it is fun to watch him pitch when he's got it rolling. Um, he's his tempo really I think our guys really like playing behind him because of how fast he works and gets it and goes and you know he's he's tough when he gets into a rhythm he's really really difficult to deal with Matt Hobbs joining us he's in his first year as the Arkansas pitching coach and this is the Supercuts baseball spotlight on halftime Matt I want to talk a little bit about like strike zone and how you approach what I thought was going on yesterday with the strike zone which floated I'd said on the air it felt like it was wearing a bathing suit Hmm. and and on a tube Um, but you know a pitcher can't control what the umpire thinks a strike is he's got to work within those confines sometimes how do you work with a pitcher when you're dealing with a strike zone that's a little difficult to define I think the the main thing you have to always impart to your pitchers is it really doesn't matter really doesn't matter what the zone is it's just about executing your pitches and whatever that means for each individual guy, it's executing a pitch. Um, whether they're called balls or strikes, it, it doesn't really matter. What we have to do is get hitters in swing mode, and we have to do that by making pitches inside the confines of what we've deemed the strike zone to be, you know, through, you know, through track man and being able to use some of those things to define what a college strike is going to be and train to that. You know, that's one thing that I think our pitchers have done a really good job of is, you know, we'll define the strike zone at the beginning of the season as to what it's been over the last four years at Bomb Stadium and then be able to train to that. And that helps us a little bit when the strike zone floats a little bit because it does. It's just different for everybody when you're out there. And that's a real thing. And, you know, our guys know that it's, you know, they're not going to they're going to make pitches that don't get called strikes. But that that pitch, if it's an executed pitch, is going to set up the next three pitches. I feel like one of the debates that we're talking about in baseball now is is eventually, are we going to be dealing with a robotic strike zone? <laughs> you know, and there are some pitchers that would say, I want that because I feel like if I throw a strike, I should deserve that strike. But there's that human element, and you know that there are catchers that get you strikes that you yeah. didn't throw too. What do you, where do you come down on this? Well, I have a catcher right now that gets us a lot of strikes. There you go. <laughs> so I, I'm not necessarily for that because I think when you have a guy like Casey Opitz back there or Zach Plunkett back there too, they're getting us a lot of marginal pitches, borderline pitches, just by what they're capable of doing in terms of presenting the ball. So 
you know, I think that I, I would be not for taking the human element out of the game. You know, we already do that a little bit with the replay, and you know, it's it, it's been good for baseball, and you know, talking into the headsets, which has been good for baseball, but. Uh, I think we should just keep as much of the human element in there as we possibly can. Well, and so, I mean, the strike zone is such an interesting thing when it comes to sports. And maybe there's a gray area here and there and how a basketball official calls a foul. Mm-hmm. But there is no more gray area in sports than than the strike zone. And it's clearly defined inside the rule book, right. but it's not always called that way. Yeah. And that just really sets pitching in, 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 uh, apart from anything else. It does, and that's what makes it special. It's what makes our guys really good is they're able to deal with those things. And the strike zone is what the strike zone is. For every individual umpire is going to have it a little bit different. And our job as coaches is to prepare our pitchers to go out and execute. And if they know what an executed pitch looks like and they continue to make executed pitches, hitters will swing at them and they'll get them out. So it's just a matter of making sure that guys know what an executed pitch is for their stuff and their skill set and what they can make the ball do. And once guys have figured out, okay, this is what an executed fastball looks like for me to my glove side and my arm side, it's a lot easier to deal with the floating strike zone because it's just about executing pitches. What's the communication process like during the game with you and Dave Van Horn in deciding when it's time to go out and get a pitcher? How does Dave, how does Dave ask you and, and how do you communicate back to him? We just basically are talking pretty much every inning about where our guy's at, what the pitch counts like, what the stuff looks like, in constant contact with our catchers as to what the stuff is doing, what kind of swings the, the hitters are getting off. You know, Then situationally you're dealing with, all right, what do we have matchup-wise? What does their lineup look like? What are the splits and the matchups? Coach Van Horn is so far ahead of the game in terms of knowing what you know he wants later in the game in terms of left, right, who he wants to face who, um, that it makes my job really easy because then it's just about, all right, focus on what's going on on the field and then make sure you've got, you know, three or four options down in the bullpen so that when come, it comes time to do that, we can kind of pick and choose who we want to put in if we feel like a matchup is better or if we just feel like a guy's going really good. I mean, we've put Kevin Copps in against a bunch of left-handed hitters that sometimes it doesn't make a ton of sense, but Kevin's going really good, so it doesn't really matter if he's facing right-left. Um, and we've done the same thing with, you know, Cronin. You know, it doesn't really matter if it's right-left. If his stuff's really good, he's going to be able to get those guys out. But Coach Van Horn and myself communicate pretty much throughout the entire game about, you know, what we like, who's available, and uh, those type of things are just constant com- constant conversations through the game. And the catcher, is he a part of that conversation too? I always feel like, you know, a catcher is – partially responsible for the opponent for the team's ERA and that kind of makes him like a, a pitching coach on the field sometimes I feel you think that way about Casey Opitz too don't you I do I think Casey Opitz is the best pitching coach on our team <laughs> like I do believe that you ready to share your salary with him no <laughs> uh, he's gonna have a salary that's probably greater than most of ours here in a little while but Casey is you know he is he's on the field he's the on the field pitching coach and that's what a great catcher is is a guy that can be able to manage the what's going on in terms of the game and then be able to manage what's going on in terms of our pitcher and you know he's de- he's directly involved in any conversation we have about leave a guy in take a guy out i'm going to go to him first and ask what the stuff's like before we have any conversations is catching the most unique position in all of sports my answer is yes yeah, because you have to. It's like being an offensive lineman, I guess, because you have to be. You have those. Those guys have to be the smartest guys on the field, mm-hmm. and I think that, yeah, because you can. You're affecting the game offensively, defensively, and then you affect it with what you do as a hitter. Also, you know, the game is. It's a, it's just a really hard game to put your brain around, and having a guy back there that can handle himself, and you know, the, I guess 
people see the throwing with Casey as maybe the best thing that he does or blocking. His best asset is how he controls the game. And that's not something that's ever going to show up in a box score. Let me ask about your, your the, the rotation going into the to the regionals. Um, there are two true freshmen in your starting rotation for a team that's that's going to be a national seed. And Isaiah Campbell has been very consistent. You're searching for that consistency from Patrick Wicklander and Connor Nolan. And I feel like that you're hoping the lineup takes care of itself, even though they've scuffled to score runs of late. It's the second and third starters for me right now that are kind of not X factors, but have a chance to lay the groundwork. Definitely, those two guys are going to be the reason why we win a regional. You know, I think you know you're going to you're going to get what you get from Isaiah, and you've come to expect a really good outing. And I think that's something we can, you know, we can bank on. And then also, if you look into what the bullpen's been able to do over the last you know month and a half, you start to get pretty excited about that too. And so those two guys are going to take us as far as it as, as far as we're going to go. Those two guys being consistent, like I said with Patrick, it's never going to be a question about whether his stuff's not good enough mm-hmm. or anything along those lines. Just getting out there and being able to repeat good pitches over and over and over again, and Connor being able to stay out of trouble, you know, be able to stay out of a big inning, and you know, those things are things that they they've both shown at times they can really do, and they've both shown at times they struggle with a little bit. And they're freshmen <laughs> trying to pitch in the best baseball conference in the country, and. There's going to be some growing pains, but at this point, you know, in this point in the season, they they're not freshmen anymore. You know, they need to step up, and they will. You know, both obviously hardworking, good kids that are super talented. So I think we're we're going to see the best of those guys down the stretch. And do you feel he settled in? It's been, it's still less than a year since since the hiring. Um, you know, and it takes a while to get settled into you know life in a new city and in a new location with new people. I feel you're settled into the job, but what about personally? Are you settled into living in Northwest Arkansas? I don't know where anything is yet, except how to get from my house to bomb. So I think those are the only things that, that that I know in terms of Northwest Arkansas right now, and maybe from a recruiting standpoint, how to find the high schools around here. But uh, the biggest thing that's been a help for me is finally getting my family out here. You know, that that's really difficult when you're in a new area and you're kind of it, it's people will say, you know, it helps when your family stays back in the first couple months of a job because it allows you to just dive into your job. But not having your kids around is not fun. And getting my kids here and my wife here was, you know, it was been really helpful. And, you know, getting settled into our house and everything and being able to wake up in the same place every day and feel like there's some sense of normalcy, I think, is really important, especially when you're doing a really, really hard job. So you know, things, are, things are fine here. And obviously getting to work with Coach Van Horn and be a coach at Arkansas is a dream come true. Matt, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much today. Good luck against Ole Miss. Hopefully we're playing again tomorrow. Thanks, Phil. You got it. Arkansas pitching coach Matt Hobbs joining us here on the Supercuts Baseball Spotlight. You're listening to the Halftime Podcast presented by Jeff's Clubhouse. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush podcast at hitthatline.com.